Yes, there are persons who are inherently talented, but I also think that there are persons who just are passionate about something and willing to put in the work. So sometimes the people who we see out there are not always the most talented of people. They're just the ones that really want to get out there and do the grind. You are now listening to Via Crayons, the podcast. Extraordinary conversations with Trinidad and Tobago's creative thinkers and makers. We'll delve into their processes, their struggles, and what drives them to execute continually as creative individuals. I'm your host, Dan McNichol. Enjoy. This podcast is a production of A Big Box of Crayons. Please review and rate the show by going to podchaser.com slash via crayons the podcast. You can help support the show by buying us a coffee or two at buymeacoffee.com slash via crayons. This is Via Crayons the podcast and today I have the pleasure of speaking with business strategist, consultant, Debbie Julie. Debbie, hi. welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> no problem at all. It's quite a pleasure of ours. So Debbie, from what I know of you, you've been operating in the sales and marketing area for over 15 years. You've worked with clients in Australia, UK, the USA, and of course, the Caribbean. So tell me, Debbie, how did you first get into marketing and using your creativity in this way? Wow. In my career, I actually got into finance first. Mm -hmm. Going out and work, it was the easiest thing to get into. But after I think about a year, a year and a half, I made a switch in an organization I worked for. And I got the opportunity to get into their marketing department and I just kind of stayed there. All right, great. So I like to start off the conversation by asking about your childhood and how does that influence who you are now as an adult? Well, I actually use the tagline, the stammering communicator, and I think that's something that I've been putting out there for a while. I was a child that stammered terribly, like I couldn't string two words together. But I couldn't be a person that like marketing and the arts and music and these things and not be able to command this voice. So that in a sense has propelled me to where I am because being a person that stuttered, I have lots of introverted ways. But of course, if you love marketing and the arts and being a little more creative, you think of that as extroverted type of ways or skills and that type of thing. So. It's a kind of yin and a yang, and I wanted to be able to overcome the stutter in order to be able to pursue the things I loved. And so that has been my story, and that is actually what I now put out there. I let persons know. So part of my tagline is the stammering communicator, which persons, I think, at times don't believe because they watch the videos now, and they say, I don't hear a stutter. That's like, <laughs> I could share a lot of it, you know? But yes, it's my journey and it's something I share because it's something that I think it's still around. If persons around around me enough, they'd hear it. But it's something that I've kind of used to 
a catalyst for a lot of the things that I do. How then were you able to overcome that problem? Was it like formal training or is it something like you figured out your own method of dealing with it? I did a lot of things and my parents early on did try me with speech therapy, which 25 years ago was actually very expensive. What happened was when I got into my 20s, I got into lecturing because I felt as though for persons who stutter, there is an inherent fear, a fear with speaking and a fear with public speaking. And so I felt as though if I got in front of an audience and I was in front of an audience where I had to use my voice on a regular basis, I would be able to kind of control it. So in my early 20s, I got into lecturing and I just stayed. And that really helped because two or three times for the week, I was in front of a class. I was in front of persons I didn't know. And I had to use my voice. And that, I think, was the biggest, I think, training for my voice and helping me to get over that stutter. At that time, what were you lecturing about? Marketing and advertising, because <laughs> that's what I studied. So that's what I did. So it was something I loved and, you know, it worked together. So in your childhood, what sort of creative things were you have been involved in? So I love to paint and I think I want to get back into it a little bit. I've quite, kind of gotten out of that. I used to paint, I used to do sculptures, you know, I used to write. I did art right up to what we call C-sec now. So I've always had that creative aspect of me. I realize I've passed it on to my son because my son likes to draw a lot. And is that something you encourage? I encourage anything that is positive because I believe that persons do always pursue their dreams. And it's because your parents feel as though that's not going to make money so that I don't hamper him at all. Whatever he says he likes, I said, okay, well, you got to work at it. You got to try it out. You let's try everything until you find what it is, you know, your love and your passion is about. Mm -hmm. Was that your experience that you felt that you were held back? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. I think your parents care, but they, at that point in time, doing something in art or doing something creative was not deemed something that could make money. So they would naturally push you in things that would do sciences, do business. I got a lot of news and I had to push past that. And how did you push past? Was it like, listen here, parents... This is what I want to do. <laughs> How did that go for you? For my art, I remember for my art, at least when I did art, I remember my mother saying, your brother and your sister, my older brother and sister did maths. And she said, so why don't you do maths? I said, because I don't want to do maths. I want to do art. And you know, what is interesting is that she loves it too, but she, in her mind, she didn't see the end road, right? And I think after pushing and tugging and pushing and tugging. She said, okay, you go ahead. <laughs> so that's it. I usually don't take a no. If I'm passionate enough, I don't take a no. So it'll be pushing until I get to do it, you know? So how does she view what you do now, you know, being in marketing, being that strategic thinker and guiding people in that way and using your creativity in that way? What are her thoughts now? I think uh, 
both my parents, my mother is 70 and my dad is 78. My mom is still a little bit techie in that has her phone, goes on YouTube, looks at things. So that when I do content and videos and stuff and I do bloopers, I show her it and she laughs, you know. So there is an understanding and an appreciation for it now. And I think you have to involve them a little bit. So I involve my family so they understand what it is I'm doing and how this helps to bring work. Because I say, listen, I need to be visible in order for persons to see me, to hear me, and then a conversation develop. I think they're semi-interested for persons who are <laughs> 70 plus. <laughs> That's wonderful. That's wonderful. So how much of your creative ability do you think it's innate and how much do you think you've had to develop wow as you say that and i put on a business hat i think that everybody i think most things could actually be learned and i think yes there are persons who are inherently talented but i also think that there are persons who just are passionate about something and willing to put in the work so sometimes the people who we see out there are not always the most talented of people. They're just the ones that really want to get out there and do the grind. So for me, I think it's a combination of both. It's a combination of, us, of some skill, but it's also a deep passion and a desire to make sure that this is successful and I am successful. So I'll put in the work. So it's a little bit of a mix, I think, for me. Right. So from the point of doing art in school, and I guess going into tertiary education, what was your mindset like? You know, what were you going to pursue? Who were you going to be in the world? And do you think you have attained that or at least some level of it? I think so, but it's constantly evolving. I mean, when I really learned marketing in school, the digital space was unheard of, you know, you were now hearing about it, you know. So things have changed a little bit. And I think in the last five years or the last seven years or so, the scope of what I've done has changed in terms of marketing, in terms of content. And I hope that it will continue to change as I observe and look at what is happening around me and in my country and in the Caribbean. I want to constantly evolve. And that's what I like. I'm not a person that will stay in one space. I like the fact that you could push through and you are seeing new and exciting things now. What propels you to want to continue to learn and how do you do that learning? It's different things. I think going back to stuttering a little bit, I've gotten a lot of no's. No. You can't do um, this. No, you can't be a particular executive. No, you can't be a public speaker. No, you can't be a lecturer. So I've gotten a lot of no's. And naturally, persons ask me, when did that point occur when you were, when it switched and you said that you are determined to do what you want to do? And I'm saying, I don't even remember it. I just remember being four and five and being a person who stutters. And when persons say no, I'm like, hmm. If I make up my mind that this is what I want to do, I go ahead and pursue it. So that has been the backdrop pushing me and propelling me, you know, for anything. 
that I really do. Right. So when that light click that, okay, marketing is what I want to do, do you have a clear remembrance of what that was? I fulfilled a lot of areas in business. I got into finance, I got into operations, sales and marketing. And I think naturally, I like solving problems for people. And I like coming up with solutions, which inherently marries relationship with people. It has a certain creative element to it. And that is what really helps me, I think, as a business consultant and a marketing person, is that I've kind of held the hat in a number of areas. So I understand it. But the passion and the desire really was honed when I got into, you know, a marketing department and being a little more creative. I worked in an advertising agency and I enjoyed printing. I really enjoyed that aspect of it. And I realized it was different. What I was willing to do and the hours that I was willing to stay up was heavily influenced by that aspect, that aspect. I don't think I had that when I worked in operations as much, or even when I worked in finance, you know? And I think that's a good thing. And that's why I said, again, exposing yourself to a number of things helps you to understand what you really like and what you're passionate about. And I think that is so important for young people, you know, exposing yourself to a number of things, not just doing it because My mother and father said I should, or this is what society says I should do. Really exposing yourself and understanding what it is you really enjoy doing. And again, I'll go back to asking you, was that your experience, having the ability to be exposed to different things, although your parents probably didn't understand what it was? Yeah. I'm a person that always was a rolling stone. So I never, I wouldn't say I never stayed very, very long. My longest stint in any place was about seven years, but I never stayed in one company for very long. I would come in and once I feel that I've learned what I need to learn, I need to get into another environment. So I'm naturally a person that will not sit back I'm naturally a person who will push myself. I'll naturally see, okay, I kind of getting not so happy here again. It's time to move on. So that's me. I just always am looking for another way to stretch myself. Right. That's a very good trait. You mentioned that you're not a person to accept no's. Mm-hmm. Right. But my question is, as the views of other people on what you're doing, on probably the content that you're putting out, the advice that you're giving. I'm sure that your clients not just like, oh yeah, okay, you said to do this. Okay, cool. How do you deal with those type of situations? Does that influence your view or have any kind of negative or positive? How does that go for you? I know I spoke to a colleague who does social media and I think some people, again, your worker, What we do as marketing professionals and social media managers uh, does have an aspect of our own creativity that we put into it. So when a client doesn't like it or says, hey, I want to do it this way, then sometimes we can take offense. 
for me, I always want to balance two, which is a client once has a specific direction for their firm and we need to help them there. But at the same time, we are also meant to guide and show, hey, these are the strategies that really work. And so it's a balancing of the two. But because I think I've been exposed to a lot of people, I've been exposed to a lot of situations, I've dealt with negative persons, I've dealt with difficult CEOs. It's not as hard for me when a person says, Debbie, I'm not interested or I don't like this or so on. I am always actually very receptive and willing to listen because I'm always that type of person as well, well, well too, because I will gauge if that person is actually ready to work with me or not. And if they're not ready, then I'm not going to push. And then, you know, a few months down I'm the road, they say, okay, no, they're not interested. So I think I have some pretty thick skin. I am not easily offended by what people say. But again, you know, we are human, but I think I'm clear enough in terms of who I am that when persons say particular things, I could differentiate whether it's, you know, it's an attack or it's a genuine criticism of something I need to look at. So I, for the most part, they're not throwing me off <laughs> like somebody else they might throw off. They're not going to throw me off like that. No. That's great. You mentioned there that you have dealt with negative people. You've dealt with difficult CEOs. There are particular things that you do or techniques or skills that you believe is needed to deal with such people, especially in the business environment? Ah, that's really tough because I think it's different for each person because persons have said to me, Debbie, you're too nice, right? And I've taken that as well to say, okay, there are times that you need to be a lot more firm. But for me, working with persons means understanding them. It's like a relationship. You really have to understand their triggers. Some people, some CCOs are very technical, they have KPIs, they want this done, they're data-driven, and they're like that. Some are just all over the place. They get an idea and they're like, okay, let's try this. And there's no foundation or any research behind it. And so you have to be able to balance that person out and you have to be able to deal with the person. And that's why in the initial stages, the dialogue is so key. And that's why it's okay to re-realize when clients could work with, when you could work with a client and when that client is not for you. It's not everyone you'll gel with and it's not everyone that will see a vision and that you will agree with. So that, But I think having a conversation, listening to that person, you'll begin to understand them, you know, and then you'll be able to gauge if, this is where I want to put my energies and where I want to work and so, so on. And I made a mistake about that a few years ago where I got an opportunity to work with a technical company and I had worked in construction for a long time and this company had no website, no social media, nothing at all. And so I really wanted to work with them because I felt that I understood them, but they were not ready. They were not in a position, they were very sales driven, and uh, there were too many chefs in the pot in that uh, there was a CEO and the brother of the CEO and those things. And the way in which they make decisions was very ad hoc. So today you could get a contract 
And then six months down the line, it's canceled. And that's what occurred. And I saw it, but I ignored it because I said, I really want to work with this company because I feel I could help them. But they were not ready to really work. So again, you have to really have the conversation and know when this is opportunity and when you need to kind of step back. That's a very important distinction to make when to know when to move forward, when to stand still, and when to pull back, right? I'm thinking, what do you use to make those distinctions? So say, for instance, and this is probably just to help you know answer the question, if A, B, and C lines up, I go forward. If it doesn't, but A and B, I could probably stand still, see how it goes, and then you know, so with that type of framing, is that something that you do? Yes. Okay. Can you tell me about that? You have to have what I call a discovery and it's actually a part of your sales process. And even as a consultant, you must have these, what you call a discovery discussion or discovery call. And it's meant to ascertain exactly where the client is and how far are they from what it is you are actually providing. So you need to be very clear in terms of what it is they want to achieve, right? So you're going to ask them particular questions. And then you have to ask things about budget as well. What is your budget? What are you ready to really commit to? What else is there? You need to also find out who is really the person at the top and who really controls. Because many times we come in and we speak to a manager, but that person does not have the final say. And you may spend a lot of time wasting time with this person, and that person is not the decision maker. So the discovery process is very important. And many times, if I've engaged a firm, I really try my best to get to a meeting with the CEO, the CIO, the COO, because in many instances, the individual you're working with or having that initial discussion is not the person that is making the decision. And many times it might be about three or four other people who are very critical in you getting that contract and for it to be sustained because they have to believe in what it is you're doing. So the discovery call in terms of finding out who really makes the decision, how they make that purchasing decision, what is their budget? Are they really committed to doing this, you know, expanding in this way? Those things you have to get from the jump. And if you kind of just get in quickly and they rush you, to me, it's not sustainable. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. In providing these solutions to your clients, do you find that your creativity comes easily or do you have to struggle through it? And if so, how do you overcome that struggle? Oh, I don't find the creativity in terms of coming up with concepts difficult. I think the initial stages of having a synergy between you and the client might take some time. So I am now doing, I shouldn't say now, about six weeks in to working with a roofing company in New Jersey. And it took about three weeks going back and forth with content for between myself and them before we got a rhythm to where it is now, right? They have specific keywords they're using. 
They have specific, you know, audience that they are going after. They want it to look a specific way. So again, the company itself, I am used to because I've worked in construction. So the technical aspect is fine and coming up with the concepts is not that hard. But I think it takes a little while to get a little bit of synergy with the client. Usually when I am unable to create content, it is because I am physically tired. So if I realize, hey, this is not working, it gets shut down. I go take a rest and then I get back up. I don't really struggle too much with the creative aspect of it unless I feel like I'm overloaded or that I'm, you know, exhausted in some way. And what do you do to recharge yourself? Well, I go to sleep if I'm exhausted or, you know, I take a little drive and like now I'm feeling that way because, you know, we have cabin fever. So I feel like, you know, I could take a little drive and go to the beach that is always nice, getting outdoors, but not getting outdoors to see more concrete, getting outdoors to go to the beach, to take a little walk, to get some air. That actually helps because then my brain begins to work da, 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 and then I have to get my phone because I'll get an idea that I don't want to forget and I'll plug it in the phone. So that helps with the creative aspect. Mm-hmm. You mentioned there that you need to get your phone. Yeah. So is it that you are? Uh very integrated into digital technology. So pen and people don't really cut it for you. I'm a little bit of a mix because I lecture still. I'm a person that like, if I'm read, like I have a book. Yeah, I do have a Kindle, but I actually prefer a physical book to read. And I think because I am literally, I mean, my clients are online and my work is online. So when I could get to pull away, I'm glad to pull away from it. So if I go for a walk, I leave the phone in the car and the notifications are off. And I do that because I know that I actually need to detach. And then when I come back, it's like, wow, okay, great. I have some ideas and I'm ready to go again. Right. And having a son, a young son, how do you treat with him and the advent of digital and his involvement in that? I told him he needs to get more involved. Okay, so he's not. (laughs) He's not a... I guess he's a typical 12-year-old that is into YouTube and the YouTubers and the PS4 and those things. But I told him, I said, listen, you eventually go going to want to buy something. And so you need to help in terms of videos, editing. You need to learn these things. My sister actually bought him a whole kit and a tripod and all those things. Uh, we'll see where it goes. He needs to, he needs to get involved. <laughs> Yeah, you need to get involved. <laughs> that's great. That's great. So having been in the business for over 15 years, having the opportunity to work in the UK, in Australia, you're working with clients in the US now, as you just mentioned, mm-hmm. what helps you persevere? I like the diversity that uh, you see and hear with clients around the world. And initially, my exposure to clients in the UK and in Australia have been primarily as a result of working in corporate. And so I actually enjoy hearing other person's perspective, what's happening in their market when they're trying to come to the Caribbean and what's different between the Caribbean and their, you know, we kind of, we, we learn more slow paced, you know, mm-hmm. 
we learn more relaxed. So I just enjoy working with a diverse group of persons and listening and hearing to their challenges and seeing how I could help them is always a plus. And what at this point would you say, if you can, would have been a sacrifice that you think you had to make to get to where you are today? Time. Mm. Time. I've sacrificed a lot of personal time and maybe time with my family. I've always been a person who works. In the last few years, I've gotten better, but I think I've always been too driven. And so it hasn't always been a good balance. I think you get to realize that you need to create it. And then you get to realize too that we tend to be on a race. And the truth is, on your own race. And so I can't be trying to keep up with everyone else, you know. So in the last few years, I've gotten better at managing my time and giving myself a little bit more and giving my family a little bit more and my friends a little bit more. So I think I'm a funner person now (laughs) and I'm not as serious as I used to be. That's great. I know you said that you take, you know, the positive things out of whatever situation that you're in and you try to turn it around or whatever, but has there ever been a time that rejection, you went to a client and you really wanted to work with this client or anything like that? And that rejection kind of like stumped you for a little bit. And it stumped me. Yes, it happens quite a bit. I think when you try to make things work and it's not working. I recently had a project. It's not completed as yet with a client out in Barbados. And I just wasn't hitting all the things that I was supposed to hit. And because it's a part of a team, I'm seeing other people getting it done in Grenada and the Bahamas. And I'm like, why am I not getting it? You know, and because I'm a driven person that I think that's what, you know, and the perfection is that you're trying to get this thing done and you're getting delays. You're getting delays, delays from people, you're getting delays from the artists. It's just a lot of delays. So I face it all the time and I think it's me getting inside my head. Again, a little bit of comparison too, because I'm watching all the persons and I'm saying, Debbie, this island is smaller. (laughs) (laughs) trainer that is like one two (laughs) you can't underperform you can't underperform so it's a pro and a con because i'm self-motivated and i don't want to fail actually this weekend i did a whole not this weekend last week and i did a whole revamp restructured everything getting new persons in because i want to meet my deadline so yeah it happens all the time but you really have to kind of fight against that eh, because it could really affect you and you feel why am I not performing and why can't I get these things done but I realized a lot of it was outside of my control and I said listen time to reset it let's get new players involved and we're gonna finish off this project strong so it's back on track again that's great and going through that thinking of okay this person is getting this done this person is doing that does that cast any doubt on your own talent or what you could bring to the table? I wouldn't say not too much because, you see, I'm always in a place where let's go. So yes, the doubt creeps in 
And then I say, oh, gosh, ah, I don't like, oh, gosh, why you, why you fell off? Da, 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 da. But I don't stay in that negative space long. I will quickly say, okay, what do I have to do now? I have to reset this, I have to do this, I have to get in new people. So I will immediately switch. So I really don't stay in that funk for very long. It comes in as naturally as any other person. But I just say, listen, I just have to get it done. I have to get it done. The client has been good to me. I've been to Barbados. I've really enjoyed working with them for the last year and a half. I don't want to disappoint. So I know what I need to do. I need to get things done and I will, the, uh, the switch will turn and I will start to work again. Right. That's great. I mean, for some people, it's a bit harder to let go of that inner voice mm-hmm. and, you know, like say, okay, no. Yeah. I need to keep moving. I need to get this thing done. Well, that's great that you have that ability. I think you have to cultivate it in young people. I think those insecurities are things you take from childhood into adulthood that you haven't recognized or you haven't acknowledged. And so it creeps back into all aspects of your life. And therefore, It's something you really do have to acknowledge. And as I mentioned, from very small, I didn't like this no, especially if I knew innately that I loved it or that I wanted to do it or I wanted to try it. And so I don't like to tell little children, no, you can't do that. I rather explain what is the dangers, etc. But I don't like to say, no, you can't do that. I find that such a limiting thing and you really don't know the impact it has. You know, yeah. I had the reverse where I said, ah, screw you all, I'm going to do this. But others will not respond in that way. I don't like to put it out there. So, yeah. That's a really great distinction again. And I'm just thinking that because of you having to deal with that constantly as a young person and and probably even into secondary school and and having to deal with probably people making fun of you and and all of that kind of stuff and having the wherewithal now to say okay so this thing that happened to me when I was a teenager or whatever is affecting me today and being able to recognize that and deal with it is quite remarkable to be able to do that on your own. But you see, it's drawbacks as well, because I've always been, I'm going to do it. And so I depend on me. And when I got into business, I realized when it didn't grow the way that I wanted to, or I didn't reach the clients I wanted to, I realized that I needed help so that I hired a coach because I realized I had my own blocks as well too. Right. Putting everything on your shoulder and feeling like you are the superhero. That's why I have like a Superman and a Batman and a Wonder Woman t-shirt because I really believe in that. But you need to ask for help when you realize that you're reaching a wall. And I did reach that maybe three, four years ago where things were not going the way that I wanted it to go. And I'm saying I'm doing everything and it's just not working and you need help. So there needs to be that inner recognition when you realize that these things are not working. I need the help, you know, for even the ones who everyone feels that is strong and will push through. At some point in time, we also need some help too. That is definitely, definitely, definitely true. Yeah, because Superman had Lois Lane, Batman had Robin and Alfred. 
as a hero, you do need that support as well. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. What would you say? And if you could think about it for a sec, if not, you know, what would you say is your ultimate creative goal at this time? There's a couple, actually. I've been thinking about a book. I think I'm thinking more along the lines of a children's book for persons who stutter. I've been encouraged to do that for the last year, but I want to do it well. I don't know if that will be the ultimate goal, but it looks like in the next three years or so, I would like to do it and do it well. But that one is personal still. I want it to be good. I want it to reflect, you know, a life, a story. I want it to be good. So I'm holding that close. I want to do it, but (laughs) I'm, I'm... Still feeling some apprehension there. I'll do it, you know, but it, I need to just get some clarity in terms of how it will be done. I really want to do do that. And of course, I want to see my brand evolve. I want it to evolve. I don't want it to stay static in any way. So I'm always looking to grow it, to grow it and to grow it in new ways and that type of thing. So that's a constant in the back of my mind and in the front of my mind as well. Mm-hmm. So if you were to have the ability to share one message with the world, what do you think that message would be? One message, I think, be yourself. Learn to find who you are and develop yourself. Because I think we are unhappy as people. I don't want to just broad brush that. But people are unhappy and it's because they're in a situation that they don't like. They're not making enough money in a relationship they don't like. It's negative situations and or people and those things. And I think when you go on a path of self-discovery and trying to understand yourself and what makes you happy, then you make better decisions about all those things. I know persons who just work in a job for 20 years and they complain every day. And I'm saying... That blows my mind because I can't stay in that state of misery loves company kind of way. And that's why I say for me, for children, having them expand and live and do the things that they want to do helps them to understand what they are passionate about. Because we do have persons who pursue careers and do things and they're not happy and it filters into other areas of their life because they're not happy here and so they're going to make everybody else miserable too. So yeah, find your happiness and your joy and actively pursue it. So, Debbie, thank you very much for taking the time out. Okay. I really appreciate it. I had fun. I had fun. It's a wonderful conversation. Yeah. That's great. And what I took away from it, I mean, apart from you just being, you know, very voracious and go-get-it type of person, that you've learned that, one, you also need help being as strong and driven as you are, and that's important. It's important to also draw back a little mm-hmm. bit, take some time away from being as driven as you want to be at some point in time. And then just being, I guess, a good human being as well. And that isn't necessarily from anything you said particularly, but just in the conversation, I get that vibe. 
I would yeah. say, <laughs> you know. Right. <laughs> so I, I want to thank you very much for that. So finally, then tell us or tell the audience where we could see more of your work, connect with you online and all of that good stuff. All right. So I am on Facebook, on Instagram, and on LinkedIn as Debbie Jolie, uh, the stammering communicator. You will also see that as part of the headline. And uh, you can also visit my website, www.debbiejolie.com. Awesome. So awesome. we'll make sure we have all those links for easy access available on abigboxofcrayons.com. Awesome. Debbie, thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I am Debbie Jolie, and in a big box of crayons, I am Sejian. Please share this episode with someone who would find it valuable. If you haven't yet, subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts to get new episodes as they become available. Find additional content on abigboxofcrayons.com. Follow us on Instagram at abigboxofcrayons. We Are Crayons, the podcast, is a production of A Big Box of Crayons. All rights reserved. Until next time, remember, we are all the same and the fact that we'll never be the same. Stay colorful and thank you for listening.